it's okay to admit that you need a spiritual family, all right? I don't know what I'll do without a spiritual family, so I love each and every one of you. And I'm excited today because uh, our very own Enrique is going to be preaching today. Come on. So Enrique, come. Let's pray real quick. Those of you who don't know Enrique, you're in for a treat. He's one of our leaders. He teaches our, our Bible study, uh, uh, the book of Revelation, which is almost coming to a close in a couple of weeks. Uh, but um, in the summer especially, I like to give my leaders a chance to uh to preach, not only to give me a break, but to give you guys the full recipe of heaven. Come on. Because I, I realize I, I can't give you everything. We need a five-fold ministry to be able to give. Come on. Let's, are you ready for the word today? So get your word out. Get your tablet out. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for Enrique. We thank you for his faithfulness. I thank you for the fire of God in his lips, the revelation that comes out. We ask today that you would anoint him, and we say we receive Today, from your word, open our eyes and open our ears to receive from heaven exactly what you want us to receive for this community. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, PG. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for the honor of speaking to the, to the church. I'm going to share my heart as I usually do. I'm excited because I work out my frustrations in my prayer closet with the Lord as I preach. And, and when I get to speak, it's like an opportunity for me to work out frustrations that I have with God as I pray to God. And that might make sense to some of you guys, but it's kind of how me and God connect. Um, I'm like, Lord, I've got all these frustrations in my heart. Am I, am I going to speak soon or something? Because <laughs> he gives me an opportunity to kind of work through them. And what, what I mean by frustrations are um, spiritual frustrations, like uh, holy anger, I feel, in a culture right now. Uh, this month, I've been feeling just, just bombarded by the culture. Everywhere I look, the culture is hitting me from side to side. And I've just been feeling this burden and just like this heaviness uh, of what's happening in our culture right now. And um, it's funny, in our, our class this Wednesday, I wasn't sure if anyone was going to show up, but I had two people. I was excited. <laughs> and Lolita and Macy, we got to talk. And it was the Lord. Um, and we, I got to kind of share my frustrations of what, I, what I'm talking about. And as we began to communicate and, and share our hearts and the Holy Spirit just kind of came in the room. And I just began to just get this joy. And I went from frustration to joy. Because the Bible says, in the last days, deep darkness is going to cover the land. But I'm going to shine glory upon my people. And that verse has always been on my heart. And it's something I always kind of, I always go to for encouragement when there's such sin on the land. And I just, even as we were talking, I just started to get encouraged. Remember, Lolita, I was like, I'm excited. <laughs> then they're like, okay, what just happened to him? Because I was frustrated at first. But like holy frustration, anger toward, why does the, the devil get such a platform for sin? Why is it people who don't know God get so, are so bold about sin? Why, why, Lord? What is happening in our culture that, that sin has such a platform? It's never had it happen before. And I just was like, wait a second. <laughs> Uh-oh. Like the drum roll. God's like, I'm up to something. I'm up to something. And I just started to get this cry like, we, we, there's a new glory we're about to enter into. He says, in the last days, deep darkness will cover the people, but my light will shine upon you, and the glory on your face people will be drawn to. Last time I spoke, I spoke about the homosexual community and my heart for them. 
and what God told me even about the backslider and people that don't know Jesus, what do you do? How do you respond? How do you respond to a, to a, a culture of a people? How do you love them? And the Lord told me, love them by living your life on fire for me. Love them by being an example of holiness and kindness and gentleness to them. And I was thinking about that again as I was praying to, uh, to speak today, and I just started asking myself this question, where would Jesus be in this culture? Who would Jesus hang out with? Who would Jesus fellowship with? I remember Jesus hanging out with the tax collector. Everybody hated the tax collector, just so you all know. You ever get that phone call? You're like, oh, man. And you, and you, don't, you don't pick it up. You know you don't. You know somebody trying to get money back from you. Everybody hated it. See, back in the day, there wasn't a phone call, right? They need to have come knock on your door. You owe money. <laughs> Everybody hated the tax collector. Jesus, come hang out with the tax collector. And all the Pharisees were always confused of why Jesus hung out with the people that he hung out with. Jesus, don't you want to hang out with the religious? Don't you want to hang out with all the people that come to church? Don't you want to hang out with all the holy people? Jesus hung out with the broken and the needy. And his heart was clear. He's like, why would I come to those that don't need me? I came for those that are for, to seek and save the lost. And I just started to get this holy anger and this fury and this fire inside of me like, Lord, I need to enter into a new glory of this. I need to enter into a new passion to get to a new place, to shine a new fire for those that are watching my life. They're watching you, church. And all we could do is love. That's our response to the broken, is our love for them. But my warning is this. If you get tossed into the culture and caught up into the culture, you're going to grow in complacency. You're, gonna, you're just going to start cruising. And I, and I feel this, this burden and this passion to almost force, you know, the violent, take it by force, the Bible says. Through prayer and fasting for my life, I want to force a breakthrough and a new season of glory in my life. I want to break past where I'm at. And I, I'm like, Lord, I've got to get somewhere else in you. See, the problem with the church is we're okay just coasting. We're okay just, just coming to church. We're okay just go. When was the last time you cried out and said, Lord, I want to see your face, God? A simple prayer. Lord, I want to see your face. Lord, I want to enter into a new depth of glory with you, Jesus. And this has been on my heart lately. Joanne mentioned, my wife mentioned something to me about that passage that said from glory to glory. And we say that prayer all the time. Oh, how you doing, brother? You doing good? How you doing, Harvest? You know, going from glory to glory. <laughs> I love his smile. He's got... I wish, I wish the camera could show that, what I just saw. <laughs> ear to ear, smile. But you, you've ever heard, anybody ever heard that before? I'm going from glory. That sounds spiritual, right? I'm going from glory to glory, pastor. Do you know how many actual glory to glory experiences you probably will have in your life, if I had to guess? Probably five, six. It's, it's like you probably can ha count them on one or two hands. I'm talking from glory to glory. Something transitions. Something breaks. You get to a new level of Jesus that everything else you knew before, you can't imagine if being in the same place you were before. Your first glory taste was when, when you met Jesus. 
That's why some of us think back and we're like, oh, if I can just get back to that place where I met Jesus. And I would say his name and start, and boogers come right out my nose, right out the top. Boom. Sorry, I mean, that's kind of graphic for some of y'all, but that was me. Jesus. <laughs> put my scratch CD on. I used to put that scratch CD on eagle's wings. I used to play that song, and I knew that after the first minute it would skip. So I would try to get to the glory before it skipped, and then I would pray, and then it would skip, and it's okay. I would just put the next song and keep praying. Oh, the good old days of scratch CDs. Come on, who's with me? Some of the young people in here might not know what a compact disc is. It was before we had uh, multiplayers, MP3s. <laughs> Boy, so just remember those days? And we say, okay, that's the glory I want to get back to. No, God doesn't want to call you, call you that glory again. That was glory because that was your first taste of glory. That's when you, your foot touched the seashore of glory. And it felt good. It tasted good. It was fresh. And it was actual Jesus. Because, you know, you've probably been around church your whole life. Some of you may have never tasted this glory. doesn't matter how long you've been in church. doesn't matter if you were raised in a church. doesn't matter if you come to church every Sunday. Many of you maybe have never tasted actual the glory of Jesus. I'm going to give you, I'm going to be ahead of myself uh, as I get into the teaching. But, you know, here's, I'm going to let you know the first thing that's important to learn today. You know what glory actually is? Jesus. Glory means Seeing Jesus. That might be a new thought for you. Because, yes, in the Old Testament, there's clouds and there's thunderings and there's all these things, right, glory. And then we also talk about giving glory to God, giving honor to God. But that word glory, it's talking about the splendor and beauty of Jesus when you really search it out. So when you taste glory, you're tasting it's Jesus. So everybody say it's Jesus. So when I say I want to get to a new glory, I want to go from glory to glory. I want to go from encounter and relationships and depth with Jesus to a new level of my friendship, my, my, my fellowship, me weeping in his presence, him sharing his heart with me, all the things Jesus does and Jesus walks. I want to be a part of that. That's the new glory I want to get to. The church right now is just cruising. They're sleeping. They're okay 30 years in the same revelation that they got when they first got the church plant. They're okay with, with when they first got saved and they were evangelists and they started a church, they tr planted a church, and now 30 years have gone by and they go, what, we, what have we done for the th 30 years? All we did was get older. All we did was get more gray hairs. All we did was grow a little bit, you know, a little bit more religious. But it's almost, it might be even the same church number. Church numbers don't matter. You can have the same church numbers, but they could be fire all throughout their missionaries to be sent out. That doesn't really matter. But some churches don't grow because they're in the same place spiritually with the Lord. I don't want to be that church. We don't want RCC to be that church. We don't care about the numbers, but if we're growing, we want to grow because we draw nearer to the Lord. Amen? I'm going to invite my friend Elliot up, my good friend. I asked him to share an a anonymous testimony. Have you ever heard of that before? <laughs> well, not too anonymous because you know who he is, but <laughs> some of you guys don't really know him. Give it up for my friend Elliot. Come on. I love you, bro. I put him on the spot big time. <laughs> I was telling my class, I was like, yeah, you guys know Elliot, right? They're like, no, we don't. We don't know Elliot. I'm like, I always forget that, you know, a lot of people, you guys don't know him. This is one of my covenant brothers uh, in the spirit. You know, everyone's got a handful of them. This is one of mine. And um, we have talks. Every time he calls me, I'm like, uh oh, 45 minutes. 
Not because it's his fault. Like, we just, hey, it's going to be quick, bro. And the next thing you know, right, you hang up and it's an hour later. That's when you know who your covenant brothers are. And so um, recently he just random calls me up. And, I, and he calls me up right after I had the class in the middle of the transition. And I'm like, oh, this is, okay, I see God. So my heart is for the church in complacency. And how do we respond and how do we break through that complacent wall, Okay. Elliot kind of lived this out for a season of his life, and I wanted I asked him to just share a quick testimony, a couple minutes of kind of what you learned. I know it's kind of hard because it's kind of anonymous in a way, but the little bit that you can share and, you know, whatever else you feel like, man. Now, I know you're a preacher, so before I hand you the microphone, a couple minutes. We're talking three or four. Is that okay, buddy? <laughs> okay. Let me just say I, didn't, I wasn't the one who initiated. Oh, okay, all right. Pass me that. No, um. I wasn't the one who initiated this, by the way. You, no, you started it. Absolutely not. <laughs> oh, in the center? Here, I'll come right here. Is this okay? So, um, so no. So, basically, um, Enrique had asked me to share because, you know, uh, I was part of a ministry or uh, that, that walked in a level of, of what he's talking about, obviously. And, you know, it's one thing to, to see it. It's another to ask God what to do while you're in the midst of it. Um, and then in seasons of my life, you know, I take them pretty serious and I ask God, you know, what what are you saying? What are you doing in these next seasons of my life? And so what the Lord did was it was kind of funny. I was praying for a specific church and a ministry for years, actually. And then what ended up happening is the, the Lord asked me one time to be the answer to my own prayer. And so what ended up happening is as he asked me to, to kind of enter into that with him and be the answer to the prayer, I went ahead and I was part of a ministry knowing what I was getting myself into because when he put it on my heart, I was like, oh, that's definitely not you, Lord, because, you know, that's two different um, DNAs. That's two different ministries. I mean, there's no way you would want me to be part of anything like that. Long story short, he's like, no, that's exactly what I want. I want you to take who you are and everything I've given you, and I want you to be it in the midst of everywhere you go. And so I said, it, yeah, I said, oh, I'm into it. You know, I was like, okay, let's do it. But in the midst of it, you know, I saw what Enrique was talking about, some, some holy frustrations in my, in my mind and in my heart towards, towards certain things. And what ended up happening, um, it was I didn't really know what to do. So obviously I was like, let me set up a meeting. Let's talk. Just because I saw some things that I wanted to help. Elliot's the man of God. So what he sees happening, right, you, you know, you say, look, man of God, I got some correction for you here at the church. And so Elliot basically went about it that way a little bit, yeah. kind of. <laughs> Right, because there's, there's, how do I say this? There is a sense of I know better, seeing it from an outside point of view, and at least that's what you're tempted with. Um, but only God really knows what's really happening, right, to your own heart. So what ends up happening is, is as I go meet with them, whatever, we hash out a couple of things. But then, but then what ends up really happening more than anything is, it's funny, it's like I go from knowing what I was talking about to actually getting a real burden for the ministry. So I go thinking that I knew what was best to actually feeling what they're going through and feeling what God feels towards them. It was different. It was really different. And so what ends up happening is, is that, you know, the very thing that you pray for, the very thing that you want God to do, you don't realize, but he actually wants to partner with you in accomplishing it. And you're like, really, Lord, you really want me to help you answer that. And he's like, yes, I want you to do it. And I want you to feel what I feel towards the complacent. I want you to uh, know what I know towards the complacent. So what ends up happening is towards the back end of me being part of that ministry, well, 
Right. So, you know, during that time, like anything else, there's going to be, what's the word? There's going to be some resistance, maybe. There's going to be some, just some friction. And I don't mind friction. Like, I love friction in a sense because it brings, well, it brings, brings resolution. I think if you do it in the right heart posture, it could bring resolution as if and when you're doing it in the right spirit. And so, so for me, right, coming into this, having arrogance in my heart that I didn't see God saw. But what God does is he removes my arrogance by giving me a burden and giving me love for the brethren. And I'm like, how is this all happening? So as, as I am being used to maybe help open their eyes, God is using them to help open my eyes. <laughs> and it's like this beautiful spiritual exchange of like love, right? So towards the end of it all, and I'm trying to be fast, right? But towards the end of it all, what ends up happening is there was a moment of vulnerability where God allowed me to speak into leadership. And I, you know, till this day, like I carry that in my heart because I never knew that God would do it in that way, right? You come in and you're like, I'm just going to give them the word because I know the word and I know what's true and I've studied it out and I've been tested and tried and da, 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 da. You have all these reasons why what you're saying is right. But what ended up happening is, is there was a sense of vulnerability. And then in the sense of vulnerability, what God, God gave me a, a, a revelation. And normally when he gives me a revelation, he spoke to this to me years ago. I, I'm not given revelation so that I can preach it. I'm given revelation so that I can have something to talk to God about. And I didn't realize that that's why I was getting revelation, right? But in this moment, when he gives me this revelation, the very next day, we start to talk and he starts to just open his heart to me and just become the lead pastor. And he gets real vulnerable with me. And I, and I don't even know why, to be honest. I was just taken off guard by it. And um, one of the things is he was worried about what he was going to leave behind. And at that time, I was, I was studying out John the Baptist. And one of the things that God was speaking to me about John the Baptist was is that John the Baptist's legacy was him being beheaded. And him giving everything he had to Jesus. It was the greatest thing. So his minish, his legacy wasn't something grandiose, wasn't something thousands of people that, you know, and this and that. John the Baptist's legacy was the fact that his followers recognized the voice and followed the voice, which was Jesus. And if there's anything we can leave it as, as a legacy, as men, I mean, I, I like to think, you know, I'm a leader. I guess we all, you know, are ministers or, you know, I, disciplers, whatever you want to call yourself. But one of the greatest things you could ever leave behind, honestly, you know what it is, is someone that can recognize what Jesus sounds like and then they go follow him. And as you decrease, because I guarantee you, listen, listen, this is powerful. As you decrease, I've been in moments where I'm the head guy, one of the head guys with Enrique in another ministry. And I'm now in moments where I'm sitting in the back and I'm just taking in. But I'll tell you one thing. A lot of the people that I've helped disciple, I thank God that they could recognize what the voice of God is. So much so that they're still following the voice of God. And to me, that's the greatest legacy. And so for this ministry, I know we're talking about complacency. Guys, it's, it's, trying, to, it's trying to be patient in the midst of what's happening, at least in the context of... And asking God, what is my part? And then, then really kind of buying into what he's trying to do. So, but like, I don't believe we're called 
to be complacent. If, I, if I'm 100% honest, I believe we're, we're to understand the season we're in and then have God help us work our way forward to the next glory. Amen. Amen. Come on. Thank you, bro. Love you, man. And that story always touched me because, you know, sometimes we're in our own Christian bubble, and I love the fact that he left that bubble and went and sold into a ministry that, you know, for many, many years, um, you know, wasn't growing, and, and the Holy Spirit, you know, you wonder, you know, what the level of depth is into the Holy Spirit and prayer and, and mirror, you know, as far as altar calls. I mean, there's some of us that I, I remember I went to a church, they didn't have an altar call for a whole year that I was there. Um, so I've just, the rest of why I wanted him to share that, just because we're, we, I don't know where you're going to be in, in a month from now, a year from now. You may be part of this ministry, you may not be, but I believe the Lord is raising up a church in this hour, and he's going to send us not only to other churches, but to ministries, to friends, to family members, and the depth of the level that you walk in, how are you going to respond to their complacency, to their even sin? If they're in, walking in a, in, a, in a Christian lifestyle, they, they, they say Christian, but then they're walking in sin. How do you respond? And I, one of the parts of his story he maybe didn't share was how he kind of brought correction in the beginning, but at the end, I mean, toward the middle, he was called to pray for that ministry. And as a result of his prayers, this is all for a reason, the result of his prayers, he then was trusted for, for uh, truth. He was trusted for correction. The guard came down. And I believe that's an example of what God is calling us to. First, before you correct, pray. Before you call the homosexual, or you call these people sinful people, and you go to other churches and you call them, oh, these people don't know God, they're, they're stuck in their ways. Before we do these things in the church, guys, get a burden for Jesus and pray for them. How dare you correct without a burden to pray? And, and, and that's really the frustrations is my, of my heart is, Lord, I want to enter into a season of glory, of encounter with you, that people see my life. And I don't necessarily even have to tell them with words, but they watch my life and they could testify that I know you, Jesus. Can you say amen to that? Amen and amen. That's like an introduction, so let's keep going here. That's a PG intro if I've ever seen one in my life. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. <laughs> Come on, God is good. So a little bit more in this. Um, I, uh, right after I had that meeting uh, with my class and then talked with Elliot, and I'm having these frustrations on my heart. And my wife's words that she had spoke to me a couple weeks ago, glory to glory, were on my heart. I had a dream to, uh, last yesterday, uh, not last night, the night before. And in this dream, I was on the beach with my wife, and we had a kite. And we're kind of holding the kite up. Hope you're listening, Harvest, because I might need another you know, interpretation. <laughs> I had the kite up, and the kite was blowing this direction. And I'm on the beach, the, the waves are going, it's beautiful. The kite is blowing this direction. And me and my wife are looking directly at it. And all of a sudden, the kite was going this way, and it was almost like a flag too. And then all of a sudden, almost like at the baseball stadiums, you ever seen the flags, how they know what, what some of you guys don't even have no idea what I'm talking about. No? Okay. So in a baseball stadium, okay, any baseball people, you see the flag, and then you see what way it's pointing, and you know what way to kind of hit the ball a little bit. So the flag's going this way, and then all of a sudden, the kite flaggy thingy, turns the other way instantly. And both of us respond and go, whoa. And then I like, I flip it around and like to test it, to say, okay, wait, something wrong? I do it again. Now the wind is blowing that way. And I did it again. And the wind was blowing that way. And I, and 
that brought almost like a fear of the Lord to me. I saw the change of the wind. And as I looked, I thought to myself, that is going to cause a storm, and that's going to cause a wave. And as I looked toward the, the, the sea, I saw a massive tsunami, a massive tidal wave. He mentioned it in our time together this morning. I saw a massive tidal wave. I even saw somebody surfing on it. You know, you always got one of those crazy guys in the middle of the tidal wave. And then that tidal wave went up, and, of course, my first thought is, where are my kids? So I go and I see my children playing at the shore, and then they see the tidal wave, and they start running. But one of them, which is my middle daughter named Hannah, who always joins me for worship, she wants me to hold her hands up as I worship with the Lord. She likes it. She won't do it herself, but she wants me to, like, hold her hands up so she can have her hands up. It's cute. It's a dad thing. Her name is Hannah, which is the, the mother of the prophet Samuel. And so as I, then I woke up from this dream when the tidal wave hit, and I heard the Lord say to me that there is a change in winds and a change of season coming, glory to glory. And that change of winds, that change of seasons, is gonna come, uh, there's going to come a storm. Now, at first, I thought it was a, a bad storm because I've been carrying this, you know, frustration of storm, of deep darkness on the earth. But even in our time, in our leadership time, before today, I, I realized and I had this hope again. There's also a storm of revival coming. And there's a storm of the prophetic. My daughter's name is Hannah, which is a prophetess, right? A mother of a prophet being pulled into the storm. There's a prophetic movement coming in response to the culture, church. There's a change of season. There's a change of the winds. I feel it in the spirit. It's coming. There's a sobriety behind it. There's a responsibility on the church to carry it. Then the salvation that comes, God is doing something. The change of season is coming. We must get ready. Look at your neighbor and say, we got to go from glory to glory. Tell them. Tell them. Look at, look at them again and say, where you've been is not where you're going. Oh, Jesus, Harabasata. Second Corinthians, verse 12. I'm going to start now uh, a little bit of a teaching portion here, and I'm going to break it down in two, two portions. The first, we're going to talk a little bit about Moses. We're going to get into this. I'm excited. Uh, I got my cousin over there, Chris, who's my Moses expert. So if I mess up anything on Moses, just, you know, let me know. You know, cut it off. <laughs> I, I always remember Chris as the Moses guy, always. All throughout his teenage years, he would, he would come to me with these stories about Moses, and I'm like, is Moses that exciting? I don't know. <laughs> it's like all he ever read. I'm like, there's other people, bro. There's a lot of other guys in the Bible. He's like, but Moses, 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 Moses. <laughs> he loves Moses, always did. And I just always remember that when he was like 15, 16 years old. He would tell me these stories about Moses. And I, I was just like, if I ever need Moses information, I'm always going to him. So I'm going to do my best today. Hopefully I, I do you okay, Chris. But it all started for me out of this verse, right? So we know the passage, but I'm going to try to read the context of the glory to glory passage. And that's 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. I like to put there, only taken away in Christ. Verse 15. But even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart, a veil over their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. 
Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled faces, we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Everybody say glory. Are being transformed into the same image of glory, which is the glory of the Lord, from glory to glory. Say glory to glory. Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We're transformed into the image that we behold. We're going to talk about beholding today a little bit. We're going to talk about the, the desire and the purity of when you first came to Jesus and all you wanted to do was run to that secret place with him. When we look at Moses, we're going to look a little bit of through his life and how he progressed. Let's start that. Let's look at Exodus 24. Now, obviously, many of you know the story of Moses. But as it says in that passage there, Moses had to put a veil. Anybody know about the veil that Moses used to put over his face? So 2 Corinthians 3 is referring to that veil that Moses used to wear. Now, in Exodus 24, let's turn there. I'm going to start here, but, you know, you have to know a little bit of the context, right? Moses uh, was a murderer that God called. <laughs> yeah, so don't ever think that you, you're too far. You ever killed somebody? That's actually a straight-up question. <laughs> have you ever? No? Okay, cool. We're good. If you have, then there's still hope. <laughs> you might not be here right now. Let's get away with it. I don't know where I'm going with this. Exodus 24. <laughs> Moses was a murderer that God called to lead people, a broken man leading broken people. And on, in verse 9, you see Moses, I'll just read it. So Exodus 24, verse 9. I sent all my notes <laughs> to uh, poor Joanne, and I already changed it, and, like, <laughs> everything's already going a different direction. She's like, every time this guy preaches, some changes, I know it. Verse 9, Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. So God called, right, the core leadership of the church, right? God got the leader, Moses. He's got his right-hand man, Aaron, and all the elders all went on this mountain. And it says they saw God of Israel. And under their feet was a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. And on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God and they ate and drank with them. Who says that's kind of cool? I don't know what that means. Y'all can take that to your own prayer closet, but it's pretty cool. <laughs> so let me, let me clarify what's happening here. I'm building context for a reason. The elders, the leadership, the people that God entrusted to lead millions of people, right, to lead this family called Israel out of the world. He called them. He encounters them on a mountain. You see Aaron. You see, you see Moses. You see the elders. They see God. It says God didn't, like, he didn't harm them. <laughs> he didn't lay a hand on them. He let them behold his glory. Verse 17, the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire. They were in this. They got to experience this. On the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel, verse 18. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud. I love that. That's beautiful. Imagine that picture. The glory cloud, the thundering, the lightnings, the fire, and good old Moses walks straight into it and he disappears. <laughs> I think of movies. I don't know why. That's just how I see it in a movie. You know, the, the, the fireman running into the burning building. 
Moses runs into the glory of God. He disappears for 40 days and 40 nights, and something happens. So from this encounter of the leadership of Israel to Moses disappearing, something happened between the time they saw and ate and drank with God. Many believe that was Jesus pre-incarnate, second note. In that time, they saw God, they encountered God, but then in the time for 40 days that they were waiting for Moses, something changed. The people started demanding an idol. The culture around the leadership started demanding a different idol, a different God than the one they had just saw and ate and drank with. You would think if anybody would say no to the people, like, no, 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 you guys don't understand what I just saw. <laughs> I understand you want an idol, but I'm, I'm speaking almost as Aaron right now. Let's look into the right-hand man. Aaron, Moses' brother, saw God, ate and drank with God, went on the mountain with God, saw his brother go into the cloud of God. And remember, this is all after God already split the sea. So not only did the elders do that, but the people saw God do miracles, signs, and wonders. Sometimes in the church we think if we got miracles, signs, and wonders, we'll all be believers and be on fire for God. And we wonder why God holds back the miracle signs and wonders sometimes. Because if you had that, you would think you would be satisfied with your relationship with Jesus. Some people, he can't give you miracle signs and wonders because you would use that as a satisfaction point as I have checked the glory of God. If he trusts me with that, then I don't, I don't have to dive deeper. I don't have to go more. I don't have to give more. I don't have to, to consecrate more. I don't have to uh, walk holier anymore. I'm, I've arrived. Every time I pray for someone, they get healed. I've arrived. He split the sea. Not even after a couple days of Moses gone, they're already saying, we want an idol. We want an idol. God left us. God left us. The culture is going to start demanding church to, to give, you, give them a different God than the one that we preach. And many in the, in the culture have been in the church. Church, I didn't say they were been with Jesus, because <laughs> that's two different things. <laughs> I'm going to pull an old remnant PG quote. Just because you hang out in a, car, in a garage don't make you a car. <laughs> Come on, PG, I remember that one. Just because you hang out in your garage, you ain't a minivan. Come on, Elliot. <laughs> he had to walk away with the bathroom for that one. <laughs> Just because you come to church don't make you a Christian. A Christian is one who follows Jesus. And in order to follow Jesus, you have to see him and see where he's going. You have to follow Jesus. You have to see where he's going in order to follow him. Where is he? You can't follow him if you don't see him. You can't follow him if you don't hear him. He's the shepherd. My people hear my voice. We got to get to a new glory. He's got to he's got to take us up on that mountain. He's calling us higher, church. He's calling us into the flames like Moses. He's calling us into the glory like Moses. Moses comes down after 40 days. The people already made a golden calf. Aaron, his brother who he trusted, all the Israeli leaders that he trusted allowed the church, the people of God to forge a golden calf and worship and sacrifice it in only 40 days. Some of y'all are like, man, I, 40 days. I think, you know, if I saw God, I would last at least 40 days. 
you know, you know four, how many of you guys went to the last encounter, right? 40 days, you're still doing pretty good, <laughs> right? Some of the journey guys. Hey, I remember, I was on about what, two months ago, a month ago, right? But let's see what happens after a couple months. 40 days only, they already gave up on God. But God didn't give up on them. Come on, somebody. Moses comes down, his fury fills up, he breaks the commandments, and God looks down like, man, I'm going to have to do that all over again. (laughs) God's fury builds up against his people. Moses asks for mercy. Now, there's partnership between God and Moses and intercession between people and God. Moses stands in the middle, asks for mercy. Then God calls Moses back up the mountain. And I love that because that's where I'm going to spend a little bit of time here. So turn your page to Ezekiel. I'm sorry, Exodus. Is there something on Ezekiel, Lord, you want me to say? Exodus 33. Exodus 33. I just That was context of the people. That was context of the culture. And then I sit there and I think for my, to myself for a second. If that happened and God trusted Moses... And went through that. And the people of God failed God and he broke the commandments. Why would God ask Moses to come up the mountain again? And in the meeting, somebody said, he's the, PG said, he's the God of second chances. He has every right to judge you when you're at your worst point. But he doesn't. He's a God of second chances. I mean, if anybody had a right, to say, no, it, that's it, you had your chance. This is the moment that I'm giving you the very word of God on tablets. This is a moment where I trusted you. Every other people on the earth are rebellious. This is a moment where I trusted you with my word. I gave you my word, the commandments, the law. And he broke them. Even Moses broke them, and he was upset. But God says, come back up again. Let's try this again. Exodus 33 we see Moses meets with the Lord again. And the Bible says in verse 11 that Moses spoke with the Lord face to face. Everybody say face to face. As a man speaks to his friend. And I love this last part. I can't skip it. And he returned to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the young man, did not depart from the temple. Isn't that pretty? Isn't that beautiful? I love the fire of the young people. Come on, if you're a young person, raise your hand. In Jesus' name, don't leave the temple. Don't leave it. Because that's the problem with a lot of the pastors and leaders. They leave the tabernacle of meeting and the young people stay. Young people, you have a passion and fire for the place of prayer. So instead of hanging out sometimes, call a prayer meeting in your house. Oh, I remember those days. Come on, Elliot. You remember those days, Elliot? Those days forged our life. Those days forged our, our 20s of our, of our life was calling prayer meetings with me and my boys. Crying. I mean, y- y'all might play PS4. We were crying in the spirit. That's what we did. And I don't trade those days for anything. Remember that, Chris? Crying out to the Lord with my homeboys. I'm telling you, God is calling this generation to this. And then, you know, Shalini leading worship. You know, I just, I was praying, and I've been feeling this, this, this verse on my heart as a response to this generation that people, oh, the millennials generation. You know, I've been feeling this conviction every time someone makes a joke about millennials. 
oh, that's a millennial. That's a millennial thing. That's a millennial. Oh, those are millennials. I just feel in this, like, I don't want to speak that over that generation. You know what I'm talking about? Like, the, it's like a going joke right now about millennials, how they're lazy or how they don't know how to war, like, war things and all this stuff. Like, I, I don't want to joke about the millennials. God is calling this generation. He's calling this generation. He chose them. These are the ones that are going to usher in the coming of Jesus. From glory to glory, with much sin, God says, a, a grace abounds still more. Where sin abounds, there is going to be greater sin around this generation that was around us when we were in their, their age. But God is going to pour glory over this millennial generation. He's going to pour glory over them. But the key there is right there what Joshua did. He didn't leave the temple. He stayed in the presence. So who did God trust to go into paradise? Moses did it, right? But God trusted Joshua, the prayer warrior, the one who was uh, uh, obsessed with his presence. I'm a lover of your presence. You know if I preach, I'm going to sing some. I think it's a, this is going to happen every time, right? I'm a lover of your presence. Are you obsessed with the presence of God? Moses met with the Lord face to face. Keep reading. Go, change, uh, go now to Exodus 34. Look at verse 29. So when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, this is the second try. You know, I imagine the people are like, <laughs> Aaron's like, look, we messed up the first time. Well, this time when he comes down, please don't make my brother upset again. We can't do this, do, go through this again. Everybody do not make a golden calf, please. And this time when Moses came down, it says, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So Moses comes down from the mountain the second time, and this time there is a light coming out of his face. If you keep reading there, you actually see that now Aaron was afraid. And the people of Israel were afraid. Now don't miss this part. The first time they went up, they saw God. Then they responded and they fell away from God. And then the third time they responded with fear of God. Not the good fear of the Lord, a bad fear. Afraid of him, even though they were with him on the mountain to start in Exodus 24. What changed in Aaron? What changed in the people of Israel that now they just wanted Moses? You know, Moses, you go up, you hear from God, and then you come down and you tell us. It's a problem with the church. This is the problem. This is an example of what is wrong with the body of Christ, friends. Don't trust anybody with a microphone with your salvation. This is, you are going to be there alone when you stand before God, and you're going to be there alone when you have a, tri a trial and a test from the enemy or from God. Now, you got people around you, don't get me wrong, but at the end of the day, the decision will fall on you. Aaron was afraid when Moses came down. He was afraid. This is the priest this is the one that God used to, to establish the priesthood, who are the ones that actually go into the presence. Isn't that crazy? And, all he didn't, and he didn't want it. He didn't want it. He didn't want to go into the presence. God is calling his people to enter into the glory. But we can't rely on Moses's. We got to be Joshua's. Can you say amen? So Moses would go up the mountain. When he would come down, he would put a veil over his face. How many people are in here married? Married. You remember when you put the veil on? Come on, women. I remember when my wife had the veil, right? What is that symbolic of? I was, remember I was thinking about this and praying about this. 
and I was thinking of the church, and I was thinking about how we put a veil before our eyes. And then the Bible says, we're going to look at that passage here again, that when we come to Jesus, the veil is removed. And I almost picture the bride, and I know that you, you spoke on the bride a little while back, and the bride coming to Jesus, and Jesus is waiting, and Jesus comes and he puts the veil over. He removes the veil. He says, let me get, let me get this out of the way because I want you to see me clearly. The veil over your eyes, that, that the veil over the eyes of the unbeliever is because of a lack of nearness to Jesus. When you draw near to Jesus, he removes that veil, hear this, and he sees you how you truly are. Maybe you've got a veil on in front of all your friends. Maybe you've got a veil on in front of your family. Maybe you wear your veil, which is also a mask, when you come to church. When you come before Jesus, he removes that veil and he looks at you and he knows who he created you to be. You are a son. You are his daughter. He sees who you were when he created you to be who you were. Don't come to Jesus with your veil on. Come on. Say that to someone. Say that to your neighbor. Say, don't come to Jesus with your veil on. <laughs> Especially men. No, I'm just kidding. 2 Corinthians 3, go back there. This time I want to read it in the Passion Translation. What's interesting to me is that we see how amazing it was for Moses, right? He went up the mountain. But I always wonder, like, why wasn't Moses chosen? What happened to Moses? I always had these questions. And I know that it was a moment he was angry with the Lord and he struck the rock for water and there was this scenario. But I've been questioning, like, okay, I want to take, take this picture a little bit deeper. I want to I see an example of the church because I read something in the Passion Translation that stood out to me. Go ahead and put it up there. 2 Corinthians 3.13. We are not like Moses who used a veil to hide the glory to keep the Israelites from staring at him as it faded away. I said, wait, wait, what? The light that Moses had when he first went up. We don't know how, we don't know where, but I believe that through time, that light from his nearness with God began to fade. Well, it says it right there. <laughs> his light began to fade. The glory that he once knew on the mountain began to fade. This is symbolic of the Old Testament and is symbolic of religious spirit. The religious spirit is one who once knew God, encountered God, had a taste of the glory, and they hold on to it so much that it loses its light and begins to dim away, but they still hold on to it, and they never get fresh fire, fresh light, fresh relationship with God. Has your light dimmed? Has your light dimmed from how near you were to God and where it is today? We're in a place of glory. We're in a transition, I believe, in the spirit. And God is calling us to encourage us to draw near to us so we can see him again. And our face would begin to shine the glory of God. What did I say earlier? The glory of God is the face of Jesus. The reason why Moses' face was, on, was filled with light is because he spoke to God face to face. There's mystery there. Maybe it was Jesus pre-incarnate. I don't know. 
Because then God later said, no man would see my face. Maybe that was the father that said that. But maybe he could see Jesus face to face. I don't know. It's fun. But the reason Moses shined light from his face and had to put a veil was because he was near to the face of God. When you draw near in your time with the Lord, when you draw near in your prayer closet, when you draw near in your lifestyle, as you draw near and you break through that, that, that glory wall to enter into a new glory, your light begins to shine. And this is the light that I believe is going to draw people to the kingdom. It's at Isaiah 60. It says, yes, deep darkness is coming, but I'm going to put a new glory on the church. And the light that they shine is going to draw the heathen, which the word there, Gentiles, is heathen, unbelievers are going to be drawn to the light. But if we don't draw near to the, to the Jesus, if we don't draw near to his face, we won't have the light. How many of you guys know Christians that look nothing like Jesus? Let's read this verse for what it really, what does it mean to go from glory to glory? It means to look more like Jesus. Because I'm with Jesus. Not because I learned something. It's because I see him, I know him, I hear his voice, and I look like him because I hang out with him. That's what glory to glory is. Keep reading it. Look at verse, look at, I'm just going to start reading. You can jump up with me, Joanne. I'm referring, the Old Testament is being read. Okay, this is the Passion Translation. So until now, whenever the Old Testament is being read, the same blinding comes over their hearts. But the moment one turns to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted away. And that veil, remember, is how you see God and how God sees you. When the veil is removed, you finally see yourself the right way. I have such a heart for the homosexual community, and I pray this prayer over them. They don't know who they were created to be. How do we love them? How do we, how do we love them through not knowing who they, who they are and how God sees them? But when the veil is lifted, they will see. Everybody say, say now. Now the Lord, I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit. And wherever he is Lord, this is beautiful. Wherever he is Lord, there is freedom. I've heard that verse so many times and I love this. It's not only where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It's wherever the, the Spirit is Lord, there is freedom. Where is the Spirit not Lord in your life? Where is the Spirit not taking lordship and surrender and you have fully surrendered? Where in your life have you not fully surrendered? If you do surrender, you'll find freedom. But you got to surrender first. You have to humble yourself first. He has to become Lord of that first. And this is a continual process in your walk with God. Where is he not Lord? And I bet you there's bondage there. I bet you there's addiction there. I bet you there's lies there. But I bet you if you surrender there, and it might be somewhere you don't want him, might be somewhere you close out, you don't want to give access to anybody. You'll give God to this part of you. You'll give God that part of you. But this you can't have, God. This you can't. God's like, let me in there, and I guarantee I'll set you free. Trust him, and you'll find freedom. Wherever he's Lord, there is freedom. We can all draw close to him. Everyone say all. We can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces. And with no veil, we become like mirrors. Look at this. I love this translation. It's beautiful. 
We become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. That's actually what that verse is talking about. How you doing, brother? I'm going from glory to glory. All right, so you're telling me that you look—you didn't look like Jesus last week, but you look more like Jesus this week? Because that's what glory to glory means. It means I didn't look like Jesus with the way I responded to my boss last week. But this week he did it again, and I was kind, and I was merciful. Mercy, kindness, goodness, gentleness, patience, self-control, love. This is what looks like Jesus. That's what looks like Jesus. Moses on the mountain said this. Lord, if you don't go with us, don't send me. Don't send your presence. I don't know if that changed for Moses at some point. Because at first Moses was saying, Lord, I will not go if you don't come with me. If your presence doesn't come with me, I will not go, Lord. And the Lord said, surely I will show you my presence. And then Moses cried these, these words. We've all heard it. He said, Lord, show me your glory. And then all of a sudden, past the Lord. And he began to declare his name. And he said, behold the Lord God, merciful and kind. And, and, and do not deal with iniquity upon generations of generations. Wait, wait, hold on, Lord. I didn't ask for your... Your, your kindness or your emotions, God. I asked for your glory. I just wanted to see the power. God's like, no, no, you want the glory? Behold the Lord God, merciful and kind, who does not deal with your iniquity and your sin upon generations upon generations. That's actually the glory of God. When Moses cried, show me your glory, God showed him his kindness. God showed him his emotion. You want my glory, Moses? Know my heart. I don't deal with the sinner the way you deal with the sinner. Oh! You want to know my glory, Moses? I don't deal with the broken the way you deal with the broken. I am merciful. I am kind. I don't keep iniquity upon generation on the generations. Oh! That's the glory of God. And when you draw near to the glory of God, this is the heart you're going to carry in a generation who does not know Jesus. Millennials are going to be ones who carry the glory of God. If you're a millennial, I want you to stand up right now in this room. If somebody knows a millennial, point at them, tell them to stand up. <laughs> they might not know that they're millennial. If you're a millennial, stand up. Give me a couple more minutes. One, two more minutes. We're almost there. I want you to stretch your hands right now toward the millennials in this room. I feel the Lord on this. Shakarabakata. And I already I asked the leadership to get ready. We're going to go into a time of intercession. We're actually not going to have an altar call. We're going to have a time of prayer. Is that okay? Is that okay? RCC, RCC, we have to enter into a new glory. And it's going to come by spiritual violence, which is intercession. So I want those leaders that I asked earlier, if you could come and line up over here to my left. Oh, Jesus. Come on, stretch your hands to the millennials right now. Father, in the name of Jesus. We come into agreement over this generation. We declare your word, God, that says, a generation of Jacob, of those who would seek your face, God. God, I ask for a generation 
upon this millennial generation that would be those who would seek your face. God, I ask that they would ask for more prayer time. They would ask, hey, do you mind, Pastor, if we borrow your building? Do you mind, Pastor, if we borrow your congregation? Do you mind, Pastor, because we got people that want to pray? Father, come on, just pray in the spirit over them right now for a minute. Before we move on, I just feel the Lord highlighting them. You might not know what to pray, so pray in the spirit. Father, we say you can trust them. Father, we say we, we encourage them. We bless them. Father, as elders, we say they can do it. Father, we say trust them with your glory. Trust them with your presence. Trust them with encounters with you, Jesus. God, I pray for the youth and the young adults of this ministry. God, I say raise them up. Raise them up, God. Raise them up, Jesus. Encounter them with your presence. Give them desire for the place of prayer. Give them desire. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.